I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I am your host, as always, Brian Stone, here joined by Matt Miguez. Uh, today, we are getting into the Georgia State Panthers. Uh, Matt, say hello to everybody at home. Sunbelt Nation, what's up, Brian? Thanks for having me, as always. And I'm excited to break down the Panthers of Georgia State. So, Matt, uh, getting into Georgia State's 2019 season to kick this off, you know, give me your initial thoughts on how it all panned out just straight off the bat. Yeah, man, you know, they had a they had a big win against Tennessee in Knoxville to, to start the year. And then, you know, they they got a win over over Furman as well to start off two and zero. but then, you know, they kind of hit a rough patch and then got back on the winning train and then you know it was kind of a roller coaster season for uh for Georgia State especially losing their stud of a quarterback in Dan Ellington at one point in the year but uh you know I think they rebounded well and they had a uh, they had a good finish to the year I think what hurt them most I mean outside of Ellington tearing his ACL and you know eventually trying to gut through it was was how how much the defense was just allowing opposing teams to just kind of do whatever they want. You know, the Georgia state ended the year, uh, allowing 36 points per game, uh, to opposing teams and finished 121st out of 130 FBS teams in, in points per game on defense. Uh, like you kind of stated, you know, the win over Tennessee was kind of the headline in the world of college football from week one. It's, it's the only thing that I can remember from week one of this this last year that everyone was talking about at the same time. Yeah. Um, so it, it was the premier win, essentially, to open the year. But like you said, uh, you know, defeated Furman in, in what was a little bit of a closer game than it probably should have been against an FCS school, you know, 48-42, they did get a win. And then week three just absolutely destroyed by Western Michigan by a score of 57 to 10. And then uh, week four took on Texas state in the uh, Sunbelt opener and came away with a three overtime loss to the Bobcats 37, 34. But, you know, like you said, this was a real roller coaster of a season and it's kind of encompassed by the first four games. Yeah. There, there's no question, you know, starting off two and O and having some, some momentum only for that to be, to be sucked away by the Broncos, uh, you know, in that in that third game, and then, you know, I, I I know Georgia State wasn't you know top of the ladder last year in the Sun Belt, but dropping a game to a program like Texas State, it's just not a good look. Um, so yeah, I think I think at that point, even after those first two wins, four games in, you're really sitting there looking at the rest of your season, saying, okay, you know, what do we what do we do from here? 
Yeah, and the and the crazy thing was they really rebounded after that loss to Texas State, um, which made it really hard to nail down what kind of team the Panthers had last year. You know, they reeled off four straight wins after the loss to Texas State, beating you know Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina, Army, and then Troy. So when they were sitting there at six and two, I thought that they were going to be actually like a real contender to compete in the Sun Belt East at one point. And, but, and, and you're not the only one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, God, six and two and getting wins against Arkansas State, Army, and Troy. I mean, that's you're, – you're looking at, you know, if, if they find a way to beat App State, they're, they're winning the East. Well, maybe, uh, you know, they, they still had they still had to close the season, you know, playing us. And, you know, if, if we didn't uh, there's not a better way to say this. If we didn't poop the bed, so to speak, in our in two of our Sunbelt games after beating app, you know, it would have been basically us versus Georgia State, Georgia Southern uh, to to close the East. But you know, and then and then really uh, the most impressive part of this four game stretch to me was Army was the only win where the opposing team against Georgia State kept it within a two score game. Right, right. So, I mean, I find that as as impressive as as pretty much any stretch uh, of the season that any Sunbelt team had last year. But uh, then, you know, they had an off they had the off week, uh, November 2nd, and then that's written really when their season kind of hit a big snag. Uh, Dan Ellington, I believe their quarterback, tore his ACL in the game against ULM, uh, which ended in the loss uh, 45-31. And then from there on, you know, they went one and three uh, to close the regular season with losses to ULM, uh, the Warhawks, Appalachian State, and Georgia Southern with their only win coming over South Alabama, who won, won, I think, two games last year. So, uh, you know, what... What were your expectations if Dan Ellington stays healthy? How do you think they finish the, that four-game stretch? If Dan Ellington stays healthy, they go three and one in that last four four games. Really, I, I think I think their only loss in that four-game stretch is Tap State. Okay, and, um, and, I, and I know you're probably going to disagree with me, but well, I, I think I if you have a healthy Dan Ellington, there's not many teams that are going to stop you. I only disagree about the Georgia Southern game because if, as a person who watched that game, Dan Ellington was was as good as you could have asked for for a player on a torn ACL. I just don't think that he's making up a four-touchdown deficit by himself. And they had a good team last year, uh, but defensively they could they really couldn't stop us. So you're banking – I think their defense would allow just as many points – to us last year if Dan Ellington's healthy is not. And then at that point, you're you're saying Georgia State's definitely going to score at least, what, 41 points in that right. game? So I, I just don't see that happening, especially when they got down. You know, that was when Georgia Southern was a, really able to kind of bait them into some mistakes. And, and you could tell, uh, obviously, that Dan Ellington wasn't 100%. They couldn't run the offense they wanted to run. Uh, they they kind of started trying to go a little more conservative with Trey Barnett, their running back, and it just it just didn't work uh, essentially. But uh, and then to close the year, they they played uh, the Wyoming Cowboys in the Arizona Bowl, taking a thirty eight seventeen loss to close out their season at seven and six. You know, looking at their season as a whole, 
you know, we touched on how impressive that four game stretch was before Ellington got hurt, but I was most impressed that Sean Elliott was able to take a team that was previously, you know, two and 10 in 2018 and turn around and make, make a winning season to follow it up. Yeah, no, no question. And then obviously, you know, Sean Elliott has the resume to do a job like that, considering he was the, the interim at South Carolina just five years ago to finish out the last half of that season in 2015. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I knew that he would be a young coach that could really make a difference, especially with a program like Georgia Southern who need – I mean, Georgia State, I'm sorry, who who kind of needed that help, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think he, he did a lot of great things for Georgia State last year, and I think it's only going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Sean Elliott uh, has been, you know, pretty much the second – head coach in Georgia State's program history and has been the only coach in that stretch to post a winning season and has actually posted two winning seasons uh, since he took over in 2017. But, uh, you know, maybe they have something to build on as, as we kind of jump into the preview for this year. But I I do believe that the losses on the offensive side of the ball are what's going to hurt their chances to really string together and, and build off of the seven and six campaign they had last year. Well, yeah, no, no question. I mean, just looking at their, at their quarterback room, I mean, you now have your, your one through four on the depth chart are freshmen. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, uh, Cornelius Brown who played a little bit last year took advantage of that. Uh, the new red shirt rule, of, of, you know, playing, I think it's less than four games. You get right. to keep your red shirt. So he showed up in three games. Uh, the one thing I will say is I think their, their success on offense this year uh, hinges on how they adapt to Brown's skill set. Uh, you know, looking at his, just looking at his numbers here as a, as a freshman, he wasn't overly efficient. Uh, I believe he only completed like 39% of his passes or something. And, you know, he kind of seems to me more of a, a scrambling type quarterback, but you can obviously build around that type of player and, and go to a more, you know, conservative uh, play calling, or you can even go up tempo and just run the ball, you know, and get to the line as fast as possible. So it's, I think it's all going to hinge on how they, how they handle that. Yeah. I, you know, that's, there, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, like you said, Cornelius Brown, played in I think what was it three games last year yeah I, think, I believe it I believe it was three you know I, I think that that's that's enough to to kind of get your feet wet and then figure out you know what you have to do in order to be efficient in in the offense and so I, I think you know now's the time where he's you know I, I think he's poised ready to go and you know anytime you have a guy that's under center at six foot five, there's definitely a, a whole bunch of things you can do with the offense. Yeah, like I said, you know, I, th I think it is going to come down to how much they prioritize the scheme that they had built in around Dan Ellington versus changing the potential scheme to fit what their skill set is on offense this year. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, You know, looking at uh, other than Ellington, you know, who, who closed the year hurt and, you know, God bless him. He tried to fight through it. It just, it kind of just didn't work out. I think their biggest loss for Cornelius Brown in getting him ingratiated into this year's offense is losing out uh, Trey Barnett, who ran for almost fifteen hundred yards last year and twelve touchdowns. But 100%. talk a little bit, talk a little bit about how much of a loss that is for them and, and and their play calling this year. I mean, yeah, I mean Trey Trey Barnett was easily a top five running back on the Sun Belt last year. Outside of Darrington Evans, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regis, I mean, you you could probably plug Trey Barnett as that as that number four guy. Um, so yeah, clearly a, a monumental loss for the for the Georgia State offense. But you know, Destin Coates, I think, is a guy you know as a junior that can definitely step in and make a difference for uh, for Sean Elliott and his offense because. Let's see. I want to look at the number. He had 560 yards last year on seven touchdowns. So I mean, yeah. those, those kind of numbers sharing time with, you know, with two other guy with two or three other backs can be, you know, when, when that when those handoffs come to mostly you now, there's there's no reason that he's not getting you know eight nine hundred yards in a season. Yeah, I think uh, I think Coates along with Seth Page, who right. was the the other uh, younger back last year. I think between those guys, they can piece together enough production. Let's say let's say between them, they can piece together eighty percent of what Trey Barnett gave you. Um, you know, I think if you piece that together, there's there's a good chance that you know you can turn this season around and become you know, more of a run heavy run oriented offense. But I think, again, I think it's all comes down to what they want to do with Cornelius Brown or whoever ends up being named the starter under center there. I think that you have to work under that person's skill set and not jam, you know, a square peg into a round hole on offense. Right. And, you know, another, another huge thing that the, the Panthers are going to be dealing with this year is, now you have one less quarterback on the depth chart with the news of, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name. Um, let's see, Mikel Colasurdo, I guess, would be the closest way I could I could think of saying it. That's um, a shot. Yeah, you know he had, he he was diagnosed with COVID nineteen, and then upon his recovery, it was discovered that he had developed a heart condition, which has kind of become a common thing among athletes. Um, and so the, you know, the NCAA implemented the rule where you, you have to sit out for the season if you have said heart condition. So, you know, that's obviously a blow having one less quarterback on the depth chart. But one thing I can't stress enough is the fact that Georgia state is returning their top three receivers from last year. They're all back. Yeah. So you know, I, Cornelius McCoy, Sam Pickney and Roger Carter at tight end. So I think that, that having th- those weapons with experience to be able to get the ball to can be a huge weapon for uh, for Cornelius Brown. I agree. Um, 
you know, uh, another another really positive thing is apparently, and and this will let everybody know when we're recording this on Friday. The NCAA just passed a rule that uh, students, student athletes playing in the fall, can retain another year of eligibility uh, potentially. Uh, and so, you know, Cornelius Brown could be a freshman for three straight years, right? Which is which is insane. Yeah. So, I mean, think about the level of development you have when. I mean, this guy could spend what five years, six years in college, program. right? So, I mean, think about you know it, you're almost talking about a, a a pro level team at that point. <laughs> like you know the the part of college football is the turnover and having to adjust to that. And if you have a quarterback who's you know you took advantage of the of the red shirt rule, which I mean you know that's always positive. But then you have another year where COVID affects your season and. He's he's a freshman three straight seasons. I mean, that's that's just crazy. And I think it can really help him long term, you know, develop as as both a passer and just generally as a quarterback. Yeah, you know, that situation kind of reminds me of a, a situation that we had at UL recently. Uh, we had a tight end by the name of Matt Barnes. And, you know, due to injuries and red shirts and whatever else, he was with the program for seven years. So he's basically football Van Wilder then. Right. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, the possibility of a guy like Cornelius Brown being being in Atlanta for six years with Georgia State, that's just, in, that's just insane. Yeah. So uh, just looking ahead, uh, I think, you know, we can go ahead and get into the defense. There is a little bit of uh, continuity from last season. But, you know, we kind of talked about this when we did our Arkansas State episode. It's almost a question of, or, or this is the opposite of that situation. It's almost a question of, do you want that continuity? Because, again, they were allowing 36 points per game to uh, opposing offenses last year. But you do get uh, Trey John Stevens McQueen, who was their leading tackler back uh for this year you also get uh victor hayward who uh along with stevens mcqueen is is a starter in that linebacking core their second leading tackler back i i think the real issues come for them up front and both in the up front and in the secondary yeah and you know a, another guy that that they're going to get back this year is uh hardrick willis on the on the d on the d inside which uh, I think could be a, be a big experience factor for the for the Georgia State defense, but you know, really and truly, I think the the line's going to be their weakest link. Uh, you know, just they only got thirteen sacks last season, allowed twenty two hundred and fifty one yards per game from the D line. So you know, I, I think that's a unit that they definitely need to correct, and. I, I don't really see that they've corrected it. Well, that was the thing when they were sitting at six and two last year that surprised me the most was, you know, their defensive splits, like you just kind of read off, were not good. And I couldn't figure out how long they were going to be able to go with those defensive stats and still churn out wins. Right. Now, now, you know, obviously it took an injury to Ellington to kind of turn their season, but I think to an extent, it, I mean, unless they just continued to light it up every single week like they were, 
uh, you know, through the Troy game, I just I couldn't see them keeping keeping that level of production on offense up from a week to week basis. Yeah, no question. Like like you said, they they weren't going to keep up that level of production with Dan Ellington. I, there's no way you're doing it without him. So does that does that affect your outlook of this coming season at all? Thinking you know the defense is roughly unchanged, but you lose Dan Ellington, you lose Barnett. Do you do you foresee that? both of those being a huge uh, blow to this team as it stands right now. Yes. I, I think, I think Georgia Southern, I mean, Georgia state is going to take a step back this year. Um, sure. Because like you said, you know, losing Dan Ellington, losing Trey Barnett and replacing it with freshman guys and guys who, you know, might not have gotten a whole lot of playing time like a Destin Coates. However, with a coach like Sean Elliott and the young talent that these guys have, I think they're only taking a step back for this upcoming season. I think come 2021 and, you know, 2022, 2023, I think that they're going to be a team that can really make some noise in the Sun Belt East. And that's that's a little bit been Georgia State's M.O. the entire time they've been in the Sun Belt. Uh, it, it, it always seemed like, you know, they kind of started they started off slow their first two seasons uh, just in general, obviously, when you're starting a, a, a program, it, it's hard to start from absolute scratch. But, uh, you know, even under Trent Miles, it felt like you would build for two years and then you'd kind of plateau and then it was start over again. So, you know, you're kind of trying to avoid that with Sean Elliott, but it's almost been a condensed version of that where, you know, Elliott had a had a good first year going seven and five in 2017 follows it up in 2018 with a two and ten season last year they go seven and six do you think there's any chance that they return to the the two and ten three and nine type seasons this year i I don't think they fall that far off um and you know a a reason i say that is just because the uncertainty with their schedule uh i'm not 100 percent sure you know what they've replaced and whatnot but you know, I, I still even if it's a even if it's shorter than twelve games, I don't see them falling off that far. I'm thinking more along the lines of maybe four wins, five wins out of their out of their schedule, which you know, obviously not bowl eligible, so not what you would call a successful season. But no, I, I don't see them going two and ten. Okay, yeah. So I I think for me, what it comes down to is how they handle these these weird teams in the Sun Belt that are the middle to lower tier teams within the conference. So, you know, like like we mentioned, losing to Texas State in three overtimes, you know, if you're better than a team like that, like let's say they go play South Alabama, if you're better than a team like that, you can't drop that game when every single week matters. And, you know, they're as of as it stands today, they're playing what, two out of conference games this entire right. season. And, you know, you don't really know what you're going to get from Charlotte and East Carolina. They could they could get drubbed by both those teams. And then Absolutely. and then and then you're looking at, you know, an 0 and three start potentially to start the year because they dropped their first two games of the season got canceled. You know, they were supposed to play Murray State that got canceled for the opener uh, September 3rd. And then they were supposed to play Alabama September 12th. Well, the SEC has decided to go conference only, so they're not going to open their season until September 19th against Louisiana. Right. And, you know, I, I hate to be the be the homer here, but I don't think that game is going to be pretty. 
Um, no, I, I don't either. And I'm looking at it from a, I mean, I'm completely unbiased, you know, here, except when they're playing Georgia Southern, like I'm going to give us the benefit of the doubt, but I'm looking at this from an unbiased perspective. I, Louisiana, I don't see them winning that game. You know, I think it is going to hurt having some of these teams like, you know, that they play are going to be warmed up and they're going to be playing catch up to start the year because their first two games got canceled. Yeah, no question. And, you know, I want to go back to the point that you were saying about the Texas State game last year, the three overtime loss. You know, you, you'd made a point that you can't drop a game like that against a team that that lower level tier. And, you know, I agree with you. My The point I want to make is when you're playing a team, like you can't let that game go to overtime. Yeah, that game was a big shocker. Like you, you can't even let that game hang in the hang in the balance. You got to go in there, take care of your business, and move on to the next week. Well, I mean, that's kind of been their their issue their entire time in the Sun Belt is is closing games out and beating teams that you they're better than, and and that was the issue last year. And you know, it, I I honestly, when I take a look at their schedule here. I don't know about Charlotte and East Carolina because I don't I don't honestly keep up with those programs. Right. So taking that out of the equation, their in conference schedule is very difficult this year. Oh you yeah, know, they, incredibly. They get you guys, Louisiana. They play at Arkansas State, at Troy, uh, you know, Coastal Carolina, who always seems to to give them trouble or. Coastal Carolina can get up any week. Like I wouldn't be shocked any week to see them just beat some team completely out of left field. So you, you have to worry about them. ULM kind of seems to be rebuilding, but we'll we'll get more into that, you know, post Caleb Evans era uh, when we do their preview episode. But then they close with at app, which doesn't look to be a winnable game. They play South Alabama, which is winnable, but then they play us in Atlanta. Yeah, also you, not winnable. It, it just yeah it just That's feels like i mean i'm i'm looking i'm looking at this this slate as it currently stands i mean i see like four wins three wins on this schedule i just think that they're in conference slate it's just they get the 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 run of every good team in this yeah they, they got they got the short end of the straw this year for sure um but yeah i mean you know that's that's nature of the beast in college football yeah i mean i you you look at you look at a schedule like, you know, you take ours, for example, our schedule went from, you know, middle tier in the country to probably one of the toughest schedules, especially our, our out of conference. We're looking at playing. We have three non we, we have three games on our schedule against top 25 opponents. Yeah, I mean, what it, what's the what's the phrase? Iron sharpens iron. Right. So you'll you'll know what kind of team you have at that point. But um, you know, just looking at Georgia State, I think this is kind of the worst possible scenario, and th- that that could always come back to bite me. But it's like you're coming back with a guy starting under quarterback under center uh, who played three games last year and wasn't wasn't great in the three games he appeared in. You, you're going to be behind two weeks because uh, two of your games got canceled to start the year. You start out with one of the two best teams in the Sun Belt to kick off your season, and then you have one of the toughest conference slates from top to bottom. I mean, 
they could beat the the Arkansas States and the Troys of the world, but if they don't score the same way they did last year, I just don't see it. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, we, we're looking at the schedule, like you said, three, four, I, I'm maybe five, but I, I don't see it being more more wins than that for sure. Well, I, I think I do think with uh, COVID affecting the season and the conferences that are allowed to play, I think this might be the year to have a rebuilding season because who knows what bowl games well, might bowl games might not even happen. Right, and, and as as you said, you know, if you're going to have a rebuild, do it now because there's going to be an asterisk next to this year in the record books. You know, because. In, in some in some teams' case, there's going to be an asterisk and it says canceled due to COVID-19 or, you know, shortened season due to COVID-19. So, you know, five years from now, people are going to look at this season and go, oh, well, you know, you went three and nine, but that was also the COVID season. So that's kind of a, a farce, if you will, you know. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I mean, who, who knows what bowl season will look like, but I'm almost of the mindset where they, the group of five and, and the, the conferences that are playing, I feel like they might just assign everybody a bowl game because with the lack of conferences that are playing, you almost can't bar any teams from being bowl eligible because it's like, well, you could chalk anything up to our season got shortened or, you know, whatever we had, you know, like we said, Georgia State probably wasn't going to beat. Well, Murray State might have been a win for them, but they weren't going to beat Alabama. But that, if you take a win from them, like a Murray State, you know, who knows what their team, their their season ends up being. So I almost feel like there's a chance that they might just randomly assign a bowl game to every team, no matter what their record is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a possibility, especially if you want to hang on to the bowl season, like, like you'd mentioned, uh, that's definitely, definitely not a bad idea. Also, I think this would be a good time to evaluate expanding the playoff system. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, it's really going to be interesting, uh, more in the power five than the group of five. Uh, just because what, what do you do if the, the playoff is three sec schools in Clemson or, You know, you get two SEC schools and potentially two Big 12 schools. And, you know, it, it's that's going to be interesting. But I I do feel like it would be the year to to uh, maybe look at a group of five teams sneaking in, potentially, like if a Boise surprises a lot of people. Um, but I, I just don't see even in, in this type of year the, the group of five uh, look or power five rather looking at it and saying, yeah, we'll let we'll let one of you guys in because they just don't want to take the chance at, at potentially being upset on their own stage. So. I, I will I will say this. If this isn't the opportunity for the NCAA to look at the playoff system and go from four teams, and some, some people might say this is a jump, 
but go from four teams to 16, and I'm going to tell you why. Conference champion from the 10 or 11 conferences, however many there are, You, the conference champion gets in, and then you have five at-large bids. And you play a 116, the basketball tournament style. Okay. Nobody, nobody loses. There's, yeah. you give little brother the G five a chance. There's more excitement because people are getting more football than they've ever asked for. Like it's yeah. just, it, it's a win for business. It's a win for the schools. It's, it's just, it's mutually beneficial for everyone involved. Especially when two of the power five conferences just aren't playing football until the spring at the earliest. Right. So, yeah, I I mean, I agree. I think I think this would be the year to look at expanding it just because of the lack of quality of teams that are typically there or just won't be there this year. But uh, kind of putting our finishing touches here on the the Georgia State episode, what are what are you looking for from this team this year? What are your kind of expectations for the Panthers? I mean, offensively, you got to stick to what you know. Um, you know, like like we like we've been talking about. Cornelius Brown has been he was he was on the uh, he he was on the roster last year, played in three games. So I think him having the opportunity to learn from a guy like Dan Ellington will definitely be beneficial. And then you know, Des, Destin Coates was their third leading rusher last year. So I think being using that level of experience to kind of mold the rest of the guys on the team because everywhere else they're they're getting pretty young. And then, you know, defensively, I think you got to clean up the defensive line. Uh, I mean, 251 yards a game is just not going to cut it in if, if you want to win in the Sun Belt. So I think you definitely have to clean up the uh, the front seven on, on a defensive standpoint as well. Yeah, I, I agree about the front seven thing. Uh, I don't think you want, you know, I guess your linebackers are always supposed to be the big tackle guys, but you just don't want to have, you know, uh, teams get a chance to just go to the second level automatically and just disregard everyone on your defensive line when it comes to running the ball. Like you said, there are a lot of real run heavy teams in the Sun Belt, including, you know, App ran the ball a great bit last year. We run the ball a lot. Louisiana runs the ball a lot. So, I mean, if you want to really make a statement and compete at the at the uh, championship level, then, yeah, you have to shore up the run defense. I think my measure of success for them this year is just finding out who the quarterback of the future is. You know, we, we talked about Brown and his potential to just be at a six-year starter or not a starter but a six-year guy in the program under center for them i think i think a measure of success is knowing going forward if that guy is your guy or if it's someone else on the roster that steps up and and really shows that they belong i think that's going to be their my big measure of success for them is if they find out who their quarterback of the future is this year no matter what their record ends up being yeah for sure i I definitely agree with with that but you know like we talked about nature of the beast in college football especially with coming off of a pandemic like this man anything can happen i mean georgia state going seven and four and being in a bowl game doesn't seem super far-fetched 
with you know everything that's happened this year. I will say I would be shocked if they if they went seven and four, because I I just I I think the slate's way too hard for for a team that that is really just kind of trying to reload on offense and it's it's still a work in progress in my opinion so we'll have to see what they end up looking like but to close it out here uh, Matt give any final thoughts you have on this Georgia State Panthers team and tell folks where they can find you on social media yeah man I, I like I said I I think that Georgia State has a lot of potential they show a lot of promise. They just have to clean up what we've been what we've been talking about. You know, the defensive line, the front seven, um, and rely on that experience offensively. And uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Miguez Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Sean Elliott moving forward is the guy. I think they have the right mentality. Oh, for sure. There, there's they no. Just, I, I don't. I don't see any coaching staff issues. Yeah, I think they just have to get better in the trenches, and and that's where that's kind of where their faults lie right now. Uh, but yes, uh, to close this out, you can find me, Brian on Twitter at watch the stone. Uh, next episode will be coming to you shortly. Uh, we will get back into the Western half of the Sun Belt, and we will be talking about Matt. I know you said this would be my favorite episode. We're going to talk about your favorite team, Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. Oh joy. I love talking about fun room. (laughs) All right, folks. Well, we'll catch you on the flip side, and we will be back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Unbelt Podcast. Podcast.